Since you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to chapter Matthew chapter 5 and verses 43 to 48. And as you probably already heard and have known, uh, our pastor is filling the pulpit for his friend LJ, New Home Baptist Church. Um, and we, we pray that, that the Lord uses him mightily there. But Matthew chapter 5, 43 and 48, we're carrying the Sunday school message over to the, the, this service, and uh, I'm glad to be here. I take it as an honor, I take it seriously, and I ask you to stand as we read the Word of God. Matthew chapter 5, 43 to 48, that says the Word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let's pray once more. Father, we thank you for this opportunity. Help, help, help. Help me, Lord. Speak through me. Speak to your people, Lord. Help us to be more like Christ today for your glory, for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Jesus ends the greatest sermon ever preached with a profound promise and a profound warning. No doubt you're familiar with it, but listen to it again to stir up your mind by way of remembrance. The Sermon on the Mount is Matthew 5, Matthew 6, and Matthew 7. And at the end of Matthew 7, in 24 to 27, Jesus says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. The profound warning, he goes on to say, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7, and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Beloved, the question is not, is there a storm coming? The storm is coming. Judgment is coming. The question is, how do we build to prepare for the storm? That's the question. Jesus says the wise builder does what he says. As we finish out chapter 5 of the Sermon on the Mount, we have heard through Scripture great truths that we would be wise to do and to practice as we live at our days on this earth. 
So far, we've been told to turn the other cheek, to be givers, to be honest, to be committed in marriage, to cut out sexual sin, to be reconciled with our brothers and our sisters, to rejoice when persecuted, just to name a few. Today's text packs some of the greatest imperatives or commands thus far. Love your enemies. Be perfect. Just as your heavenly father is perfect. Wow. We will deal with those startling texts, Lord willing. Some might say, what is Christianity? Just a bunch of rules. Do this. Don't do that. No, beloved. We know that Christianity has the solid foundation of it is finished. Right? For the message of the cross is is the power of God for those of us who are being saved. But God, as a loving father, gives us instruction. Do this and don't do that. What kind of a father would that would leave his children without correction, without instruction, without discipline? That would be a father who does not love his kids. But praise be to God, that's not the case for us. Our Heavenly Father loves us enough to not only die for us, but also teach us how to live. And today's text will not only do that, teach us how to live, but Jesus will show us the error of the scribes and the Pharisees teaching. And if you're taking notes this morning, our text will be broken down into five P's. Number one, the problem in verse 43. Number two, a proper understanding in verse 44. Number three, the purpose in verse 45. Number four, the paradigm in verses 46 and 47. And fifthly, the perfection in verse 48. I was asked to give a title to this sermon, and it is Love Like the Lord. With the problem, the proper understanding, the purpose, the paradigm, and the perfection. Let's look at the problem. Look at verse 43. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The problem is, that's not 100% accurate. It's closer to 50%. Half truth. This oral tradition of teaching, paraphrase Leviticus 19.18, that reads, You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. Remember, those of us who've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount, ever since Matthew 5, 19, Jesus has been given illustrations of those who break one of the least of God's commandments and teaches others to do the same. Jesus said, they shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And so far, this is the sixth example of the scribes and the Pharisees being guilty of this very thing, exalting their traditions over the word of God holding strict obedience to some of God's commands while relaxing others. And the sixth example might be the most grievous because they truly distort the original meaning of the text and actually cause the people of God to err. They cause the people of God to sin in the hating of others. But let's see why they came to this conclusion, the conclusion to, yes, love your neighbor, but also to, yes, hate your enemy. 
There's two reasons that we will look into to see why they would have given this interpretation or addition to the text. And as studying this, looking at the commentators, I wouldn't say it's an either or, or but it's more of a both and and. The why that these guys taught others to actually hate their enemies. Firstly, in Leviticus 18, they took to the very literal meaning of your neighbor whom you are to love as being the same as the children of your people. And possibly concluded, if we are to love each other, we can and therefore should hate our enemies. I mean, after all, God said, love the offspring of your people, the true Israelites, those who have the best pedigree, those who trace their lineage straight back to Abraham, love them. Beloved, the reality is the Jews boasted in that reality. If you think about Jonah in the Old Testament, he did not want to go to Nineveh because he was afraid of the Ninevites. What was he afraid of? He was afraid that God would show those Gentile dogs mercy and save them. Jonah hated his enemies. Do you remember the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10? Jesus taught this parable in response to the questioning of a lawyer. Now, this lawyer wasn't like the Brian Longcar, the strong arm that we think of maybe today. This lawyer was someone who was steeped and held to the law of God. Luke 10, 25, the text says the lawyer stood up to test Jesus. He said, yo, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responds, what does the law say? How do you understand it? The lawyer says, love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And oh, yeah, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, bingo, you're correct. Do this and you'll live. The lawyer did not say, well, praise be to God. Let's get to work. Or he did not say, I can't do that. He said, and who is my neighbor? The text says he was seeking to justify himself. No doubt this lawyer had the understanding was, amen, love your neighbor. No problem. I love us. I love my fellow Israelites. I'm patriotic. I fly my flag. But Jesus answered him with the parable of the man who came down from Jerusalem and got robbed and beaten to a pulp. You remember the story. The priest ignores him. The Levite ignores him. But a Samaritan sees him and has compassion on him and goes above and beyond taking care of him. And he truly loved him as himself. Jesus asked the lawyer, you tell me which one was his neighbor. And interestingly, the lawyer didn't even answer the Samaritan. The lawyer, I think, when I read it in my text, it may look like one of my kids. He got a little puffed up. He got a little puffed up and he said, the one who showed mercy on him. When he could have said the Samaritan, he wouldn't even say the Samaritan. He was the one who showed mercy. For Jesus to use the Samaritan example to make his point to the lawyer, Christ went to the bottom of the barrel. The Jews did not like the half-breed Samaritans. They traveled way out of their way to not have to cross the tracks, if you know what I mean. The Samaritans knew this. The woman at the well, she was confused. How is it that you, speaking of Jesus, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. And then she said, 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. This is the way that they were taught. Just don't look at them and they'll leave you alone. Just pretend they're not there. By all means, hate them. They're our enemies. Because they sure are in our country, man. Absolutely love your neighbors. And feel free to hate your enemies. It's what the people of Christ, they were taught. Another reason that the teachers of Christ's day would teach the people to hate their enemies is that they knew their history. They knew where they came from. They knew their Old Testament to an extent. They knew that they used to be slaves in Egypt. They knew about the Exodus. They knew about the promised land. They knew it all. They knew how the Lord dealt with those in the land of Canaan. And they thought it was okay since the Lord abhorred those nations. He was driving out from before the Israelites. They thought it was godly to hate them as well. God hated his enemies. We can hate them too. After all, his law only commands us to love our neighbors, to love our countrymen. They played fast and loose with God's law. All, all six examples of this. But what they forgot was the reasons why the Lord actually abhorred those nations he was driving out. Deuteronomy 9.4, Moses tells the people, Do not think in your heart after the Lord your God has cast them out from before you, saying, Because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it's because of the wickedness of those nations the Lord is driving out from before you. Moses goes on to repeat it. It's not because of your goodness. Oh, no. This is because of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the wickedness of those nations. It's not because you're so high and mighty. In fact, y'all are all a stiff-necked people yourselves, Moses said to them. Leviticus helps us catch a glimpse of just how wicked those nations were. Listen to this. In Leviticus 20, we read that those nations the Lord hates, they sacrifice their children to Molech. They turned to mediums and spirits. They cursed their father and their mother. They were adulterers. They were guilty of incest, homosexuality, bestiality. And verse 23 says, don't be like them. They are guilty of all these things. Therefore, I abhor them. If the teachers of Christ's day were truly faithful to the text, they would have remembered the promises God made to Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Not just them. Don't hate them. God had a reason for hating them. He judged them. And he has every right as the sovereign God of the universe to judge whom he judges. But it's not for us to jump in the band camp and start hating people with them. That's what they were taught. And if these guys were truly faithful to the word of God, they would have taught Proverbs 25, 21 and 22. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head and the Lord will reward you. That's a picture of repentance, not inflicting pain. Love them, feed them, give them drink. It'll bring them to a place of repentance. But what about Exodus 23, verse 4? The Lord said, If you encounter your enemy's stray ox or donkey, 
you must return it to him. Love your enemy. Verse 5 of Exodus 23, if you see the donkey of one who hates you fallen under its load, do not leave it there. You must help him with it. God taught the Old Testament saints to love their enemies. These guys, hey, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Beloved, God is unchanging, which leads us to our next point, the proper understanding. Look at verse 44, Matthew 5. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. The proper understanding to loving your neighbor as yourself is sometimes your neighbor is your enemy. And Christ tells us to love them. Christ tells us not to hate our enemy, but rather to love our enemy. And this love is the love that gives preference to another. The love that wishes well to another. The love that regards the welfare of another. Paul used the same word for love in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Jesus says, love your enemy like that. Whoa. Hey, hold on. Really? Yeah, really. Can you imagine the response or the reaction from the crowd that had been taught it was okay, even godly, to hate your enemies all their life? Hate the Samaritans, hate the Romans, hate those hillbilly Galileans, hate the Nazarenes. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Hate them all. After all, God only commanded us to love our neighbor and our own countrymen. Hate your enemies, boys and girls. That's what God did when he gave us this land. He said, be holy as he is holy. He hated his enemies. We should hate ours. The reaction of the people had to be confusion, astonishment, probably some jaw-dropping expressions, some guilt, some conviction. Jesus says, love your enemies. The word enemies refers to those who are openly hostile, to those who are bent on inflicting your harm. Jesus says, love them. When someone curses you, bless them. When someone hates you, do good to them. When someone persecutes you, pursues you, and seeks to use you and do you harm, pray for them. Notice the Lord the love that God commands isn't passive. Oh, I, I love them. That's active. Blessing, doing good, praying. We've been preaching this to our children on our car ride all week. Love each other. Love your brother and sister. Think about them. Consider them more important than yourself. The reality is God is commanding us to do something that we don't even properly do to our neighbors, do we? Do we truly love our neighbors? Our own family? Sometimes your own family is the hardest to love. Do we truly esteem others better than ourselves? Do we lay down our desires and rights for others? Are we just concerned about our foot room? Our being closest to the air conditioner? You got my seat. That's my drink. I'm just rehashing our trip to Arkansas. Y'all have to pray for me. 
but we lived it. You know, our kids, as, as selfish as they can be with the little things in a car, having the best seat, I see it lived out in larger things than my own self. Let's go on to verse 45 and consider Christ's purpose. He says, Jesus says, That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. The purpose is God's true children will possess a family resemblance of the Father. Just as we've learned going through the Beatitudes, the true children of the kingdom will be marked with characteristics, being poor in spirit, being mourners over sin, those who are meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted. We know that these characteristics, they do not come naturally, but rather supernaturally by the Spirit of God. We know this sonship isn't something earned, but rather given. Those who have been born of God have been given the right to become children of God. His children have been given His nature, and God's goal for us is the continual transformation. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And how is the Father? He is and always has been an active lover of his enemies. Look at the last half of verse 45. We see two examples of this. The creator of the universe makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good. The creator of the universe sends rain on the just and on the unjust. He's not partial in his common grace. He provides a beautiful sunrise to those who love him and those who hate him. He provides the sun and the rain to sustain his creation that crops may grow and bellies be filled for those who love him and for those who hate him. God is Jesus is teaching us that God's children must do the same. Much like the seventh beatitude that says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is someone who loves his neighbor and his enemy, just like God does. Therefore, they shall be called the sons of God because they are sons of God. This is not an option. Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Is that us? Or are we like the world in this regard? Are we like our children who don't know the Lord? And everything is about them. Is that us? Well, we've looked at the problem of the false teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees in 43, where they teach people to hate their enemies. Jesus gives the proper understanding of loving your neighbor, includes loving your enemy in 44. In 45, we see the Lord's purpose that we be truly like God in the loving of our neighbors and our enemies. In verses 46 and 47, Jesus gives two paradigms of worldly love that falls short of the godly love Christ calls his disciples to obey. Now, a paradigm is a typical example or pattern of something. It's a model. So let's look at the first one of these in verse 46. It says, For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? 
Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The natural man loves those who love them. It's totally expected. There's no reward for that other than the immediate love that was returned to you. The natural man may have his coffee paid for while in line at Starbucks, and in return he may pay for the car behind him. There's your reward. There's nothing truly praiseworthy in that. Sure, you may post it, the act of kindness on your social media and get others to begin a pay-it-forward kindness campaign, but there's nothing praiseworthy from the Lord in loving those who love us. Jesus said even the tax collectors do that. Talk about a group of people universally hated, and especially by the Jews. Publicans were Jews who worked for Rome, and they received taxes from other Jews while fattening their own pocketbooks. And many times they acted like thugs in the mafia to get more than their fair share. Jesus said even these guys love those who love them. That's nothing. You want to be godly? Love those in line at Starbucks who just cut you off in traffic before you both got there. Love those who do you wrong. Love them. Buy them your coffee. Their coffee. The second example Christ gives is verse 47. Jesus said, And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? If your Bible says, do not even the Gentiles do so, it's a better translation. Jesus teaches us that there's nothing extraordinary in greeting those that are your own brothers and sisters. The word brethren here refers mainly to those united in the same religious community. To greet them goes beyond a wave or a nod, but much uh, more like truly showing respect to others. And in Christ's day and in some cultures today, this greeting would entail embracing and kissing your loved one whom you bid farewell. Jesus says, even the non-believing Gentiles do that. It's normal. It's common. Everybody greets their own. It's funny how we still, this occurs today on other levels. As someone like me who loves the transportation industry, especially trucks and cars and motorcycles, it's interesting how we all greet. Motorcyclists have that cool wave down low. Maybe you've seen it. You wave down low real cool, because if you stick your arm up like that, the wind will rip it off. I learned that the hard way. I said, oh, but you know what? You see motorcyclists, they all have their greeting, most of them. Truckers greet other truckers, but usually their own kind. It's all dependent on what kind of trailer you're pulling. Crude haulers wave at other crude haulers. Fuel transports wave at other fuel transports. I'm sure it goes on and on. It's all very common. There's nothing extraordinary. It's expected, right? It's another example the Lord gives of, of merely loving those who are like us. It's normal. It's the normal expectations of the world. Greeting those with respect who are in our own camp. It's normal. But to be godly, beloved, is when we love those who don't love us. And when we greet others unlike us and unassociated with us. We're, in fact, being the type of people Christ calls us to be. Jesus finishes out this section with a therefore. Look at verse 48, and we'll consider the perfection. It says, therefore, you shall be perfect. Just as your Father in heaven is perfect. 
At first glance, this text is staggering. It's actually been staggering every time I've read it since the Lord saved me. Be perfect, therefore be perfect. I think I've preached this text with a strong evangelistic bent before and went through all of Christ's teaching in Matthew 5 and ended here saying something like, the only way we can be perfect is in Christ and repenting of our sins and trusting in him, which is true. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us here. And by all means, beloved, if you've been convicted by the acknowledgement of your own sin and see by the scriptures that you look and you love far more like the world than a child of God, by all means, repent. Repent and believe the gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus, who gave his life for ours, for he fulfilled all righteousness, and he was God's sacrifice, and he died, and he was buried, and he rose from the grave. Believe it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus is actually teaching what God expects of his children. Not perfection in the sense of sinless behavior and perfectionism, that we can attain superior status in this life before we are glorified. No, that's not what he's teaching. But if we love like God loves, we are the perfect Christ is referring, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The word perfect here means having reached its end, to be complete or mature. The rabbis of Christ's day had been teaching half-truths. Love your neighbor, but be godly and hate your enemies. God did. He said, be holy as I am holy. Be like God and hate your enemies. Jesus says, no, not hardly. If you want to be like your heavenly Father, you will love your enemies and love your neighbor as, your, as you love yourself. And we all know this is no small task, is it? There's no small task. How hard is it for us to even love our neighbors as ourselves? I don't know about you, but me loving me comes naturally. I feed me every time I want some, you know? Easy. You don't have to, I don't have to twist my own arm. I love me. Loving people who treat me well and like me comes naturally too. But to love those who curse me, to love those who hate me, to love those who use me, to love those who persecute you, it doesn't come naturally, does it? That is a work of the Spirit of the living God. And when we attain to that sort of love towards our enemies, Christ says you'll be perfect. You'll be complete. You'll be mature. Truly like the Lord who loved his enemies. Best pictured in Christ coming into this world and God demonstrating his own love toward us in that while we were what? Still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's God's picture of his love. And his love is perfect. He calls us to do the same. For Christ's disciples, he fully expects godly love towards all. But it won't happen on our own strength. But rather by the Spirit of Christ who gives the new birth to our spiritually dead bodies. In Scripture, we read of Jesus while on the cross, pray to the Father 
You know what he prayed? Father, forgive them. Those who were torturing him, those who were spitting on him, those who were hitting him, forgive them. Those who were whipping him with the cat of nine tails and stretching his, his flesh off his back and crucifying him to the cross, God said, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Jesus, in his greatest time of distress, he loved completely, perfectly. There was nothing lacking. You say, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, he's fully God and fully man. He can do that sort of thing. He calls us to do the same. This isn't just something to bring people to a place where they, hey, hey, you need to be perfect, you need to trust in Christ. Hey, no, no, no. He calls us to do the same. Be ye therefore perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And he's talking about this perfect love to where we can love our enemies. We see it played out in Scripture with somebody. One of the first deacons of the church, Stephen, he loved his enemies perfectly, like his heavenly father did. He loved them enough to even preach the word of God to them, that they were hostile, and he preached the word of God to them. Stephen, if you remember, Acts chapter 7, Stephen, while being stoned to death, while being stoned to death, stone after stone, seeing angry mobs, the faces, the Apostle Paul holding the clothes of those who wanted to have some relief and to throw some stones. Stephen, he's looking there at them. The Apostle Paul probably grinning. Get him! Get him again! How many times did they have to stone him? Over and over and over, they stoned Stephen to death. You know what he said? Lord, do not judge them with this. And Stephen loved his enemies. Stephen was a man just like you and just like me. Christ calls us to do the same. If your house is founded on the rock, beloved, you will love your enemies too. And I will too. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. How can we do justice to your word, Lord? Thank you for loving your enemies. Only reason why we're here today. Help us to be more like you, Lord. In Jesus' name.